no eye has ever seen, right? No ear has ever heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has in store for those who love him, isn't it? 21 years ago, in 2002, my wife and I, we landed up here, and uh, we never knew what was in store for us. Uh, by that time, I was nearly 10 years an itinerant evangelist in India, uh, preaching all over the place. I never had a theological degree, wanted to do an MA here and then to go back immediately. Uh, but we didn't know that how the Lord would keep us here for six years. And uh, having a THM and a PhD, theological education was not at all in our horizon when we came here. Interestingly, what you see today, SIAX, uh, I never knew SIAX existed until I finished in 2008 and went back. So I had no clue what we would do except we know that we need to obey God's will. In 2008, when the Lord was telling us to go back to India, I had so many opportunities to be here. Uh, there is nothing wrong to be here uh, or there as long as we obey God's will. And uh, so uh, when the Lord told us, I remember one of our uh, professors wrote to me saying, Prabhu, here is an opening in a particular place for a faculty. I'm writing to you, uh, only to you. I know you are going to, you know, you will get in. I remember writing to him back. I was just in my you know, early 30s. Uh, I wondered how I wrote those times, but I said, sir, the Lord doesn't give us the blueprint, full blueprint, but he will give us light for the next step. And the next step is to go to India. And uh, we never knew what we will do in India, but just to obey the Lord, uh, we went there. And now 15 years later, I graduated in 2008, and 15 years later, the Lord has been so gracious in you know, bringing me back here. And then uh, after 10 years, my wife and my daughter are, are here. And uh, it, it is indeed the abundance of God's grace. For most 21 years, we have been now associated with SIAX, uh, sorry, with Asbury in various capacities. And even on this 100th centennial year, you know, we could be here. And uh, that is uh, something very special for us. And I thank God. I also want to thank God for my wife, Sheba, uh, you know, who's been a tremendous support, a great uh, prayer warrior. And uh, much of the work, uh, what they do behind the scenes is what, what you see today, how the Lord has flourished the ministry of Sykes. And this is also a special year for us because this is our 25th year of marriage. So it was an awesome time to, you know, come here together and to see friends and family here. So I want to thank God for uh, this opportunity, and I want to once again thank the leadership team, uh, thank people like uh, Kelly Bixler. They made this uh, uh, stay possible and uh, very comfortable, uh, even now as a briefly as a global scholar, I'm here. Uh, I'll be here for a month, uh, in and out, uh, but uh, if you are interested to know more about Sykes or the Lord is putting a burden in you for uh, you know, that part of the world, uh, please, I uh, would love to talk with you and spend some time with you. Uh, the scripture passage that was read to us, right, uh, uh, this was from, uh, uh, I think it is the revised version of uh, NIV. Uh, you know, Elijah was a human being. You know, earlier it was like Elijah was a man just like us, right? Uh, that was also uh, from NIV. Um, commonly we call it the non-inspired version, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> when, I, when I first came to the Lord at uh, 19 years old, my professor who led me to the Lord, he gave me an NIV version, and I, of course I fell in love with that. And in those times it said, Elijah was a man just like us. And I thought if there was one man, I always had struggle understanding the words because I thought if there was one man who was unlike me, it was Elijah. Right? He was that superhuman, right? that super apostle. A man who made Ahab to tremble in his royal sandals, right? A man who would stand alone and battle 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel. A man who seems to have the golden keys to the heaven. He would pray and the heaven would shut for three and a half years. No rain would come. And again he would pray, rain would come, right? A man who had such an audacity of faith, right? You remember he put uh, the sacrifice upon wood and then he would pour water upon it and he calls fire, right? Who would do that, right? You want to have the, you know, the fire to come down. You don't want to have water here. I call it someday making things difficult for God, right? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, that's the audacity of faith Elijah had. And he was a man just like us. Is it true? But then as you go through the story of Elijah, we know that he was a human being just like you and me, with highs and lows, with mountaintops and valleys, with crests and troughs. So what do I do today? How do I speak on the life of Elijah, which is such a, you know, huge, huge portion, but I thought I'd try to cram the entire, you know, three chapters, 1 Kings 17 to 19. And every year, my students back home, uh, they come up with an yearbook, like, you know, what I have in my hand today. Uh, this is the latest yearbook. Everything is done by the students with all the photographs and whatever has been going on. And I need to write a note, one page every year. So this is the fifth year of me being a president. So every year, I would write a poem. Okay, I love poem. I grew up, uh, and I'm a man of literature. I did my, you know, love doing love literature. I did my, you know, bachelor's in uh, English literature. I did a master's in linguistics because I wanted to be a Bible translator. And then the Lord led me into being a preaching evangelist and now into theological education. But I, I write every year and I dedicate to the graduating students. And this year, and the students come out with a theme, you know, that's why they painted this. This year, the theme was through the seasons, through the seasons. So I was uh, praying and seeking the Lord, Lord, what would I uh, write this year? And then the Lord gave me these words. And so I've uh, taken these three chapters of Elijah, and I have written a poem for them, and I dedicated it to them. And now, uh, I do not know how many uh, graduating students are here. Are there anybody graduating students here? Uh, let me see. Oh, awesome. Okay. Congratulations. And uh, this is a special year, right? A centennial graduation. And uh, I want to dedicate this poem specifically to you, but I think it applies to all of us because the theme is Through the Seasons. I had titled it A Seasoned Prophet. Elijah, A Seasoned Prophet, a Poetic Exposition on the Life of Elijah. So that's what I want to say. I want to briefly, there are six stanzas. I would just briefly go through it and some of the insights that Lord gave me, I thought I would share with you. I have spoken uh, several times by God's uh, in abundant grace here at Asbury, uh, you know, chapel and president's retreat, and this time the 100th gala. So I said, Lord, uh, this year, this time, Lord, what do I speak? And I felt the Lord saying, 
uh, you know, I want you to speak from the poem, of course, which is based on uh, the scripture, 1 Kings 17 to 19, and that's what I want to share with you. I've got six stanzas. I'm going to quickly go through each stanzas and talk a little bit from that, uh, what the Lord uh, has, uh, has, uh, has impressed upon my heart, and my prayer is the Spirit of God would uh, minister to you this morning. Before I would go into it, can you please pass with me for a word of prayer as we ask the Spirit of God to minister to us this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, uh, because you are here amidst us, Lord. And this morning, as your children and as your servants, we are here. It is my prayer that you would feed your people and that you would hide your servant and you would build your kingdom. We ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk the first stanza of this poem goes like this. Uh, can you please uh, pull up the first stanza? Thank you. It says, you know, one of the things I like about uh, the particular classical style of poetry, because it got all the, you know, syllables, all ten syllables, and with all the rhymes, I, I, I generally prefer that style of writing. So, uh, collective moral meltdown in Israel as Jezebel Ahab reigned from Jezreel. Darkness visible but true light prevails, bomb, not bomb of Gilead, God unveils. Okay. Uh, you know the story how it happens just before the 17th chapter, the 16th chapter towards the end, it talks about such a darkness, a pervasive darkness in Israel because of what Ahab and Jezebel were doing. And suddenly, without any introduction, you see that, you know, God unveils this man. You never know where he went, right? I know he never went to Sax, he never went to Asbury Seminary, right? right? None of us know where he went, you know, what kind of training he got, and suddenly he jumps upon the scene. But we know one thing, that the Lord has been training his servant in secret. And that's what the Lord does. No matter how dark the circumstances are, this is how God always operates. What does God do? God always seeks for men and women who would obey his will and his calling upon life. Ahab's and Jezebel's reign was probably the darkest moment in the life of Israel. And what did God do? God was shaping his servant in secret. This is not the bomb of Gilead, right? <laughs> For each one, God gives a calling. Somebody are called to be the bomb of Gilead, right? The soothing, comforting kind of ministry. But this is a different bomb that God was preparing, right? Because the darkest, darkness was so much prevalent. Of course, the word darkness visible comes from the, you know, the famous English uh, epic Paradise Lost by John Milton, uh, where he describes the horrors of hell, of, of hell being so dark, you know, uh, he talks it as darkness visible. So even as the Lord is preparing, whether you are graduating or you are being prepared, sometimes you would never know what God is preparing you for. Just as I told you, we have no clue. God was preparing us for the kind of ministry that was ahead of us. We didn't even have heard of this institution before we graduated. And yet God is preparing for a particular time for a particular constituency, for a particular people that, you know, God has in mind and he's calling you and he's preparing you. And it's my prayer that even during these days that you would grasp that calling of God. And don't worry about, you know, when God is, puts you in secret, when you are not in the limelight, God will lift you up in his due time. 
One of the things that I keep reminding my students is that, you know, they, how sometimes uncritically we have absorbed uh, some of the corporate thinking, right? You know, the, always the word is about positioning, right? When you come into a place or when you go into a ministry, how do I position myself here? You know, that I can climb the, you know, the ladders of uh, the organization. We don't read about people positioning themselves like that in the scripture. All they do is they position themselves. There is only one position. That is the position yourself at the center of God's will. There is no other position. Even David's father thought that he was not kingly material, right? When Samuel walked in, hey, I'm going to, you know, I want to see your children, brings in all the seven guys, right? Handsome, tall, and thought that, okay, these are the kingly material. And what he do here is Samuel had to ask him, do you have any other son? Or do you have any other son? Oh, yeah, 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 I think, you know, I have one guy, but he's in the wilderness taking care of the sheep. We will not sit down until he comes here. You see what the Lord does? Sometimes when he puts us in those dark places, in the wilderness, sometimes we wonder, Lord, what are you doing with me? But you keep doing. You serve the Lord to the best of your abilities. Be faithful and see what God can lift you up in the right time. When all the theologians and all the leaders were in Jerusalem and in Rome, as we read, I think, in Luke, when he introduces John the Baptist, what do we read? The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't need to think that you need to be in Jerusalem to be that person. Like Jesus' brother said, right? Hey, you want to be popular? What are you doing here in Galilee? Go up, go up. That's the place. That's the place you need to perform to be that person. I still remember one of my friends who were earlier studying here, and the Lord was asking us to return to India. Of course, we know that was for a season. We do not know how long, but the Lord was telling you need to go now. And I remember the logic he said. He said, probably if you want to reach the world, you must be in America. Right? Um, I did not agree with that logic. I remember one time he was still here, and then I was brought back to speak as a keynote speaker here for the uh, ministry conference. He was still here. He said, oh, we are all here. A lot of Indians are here. Why do they bring you all the way from India to preach and give the keynote address? I said, you don't need to be in America, <laughs> right? You need to be in the center of God's will. And Jerusalem will come to you. You can be in that wilderness if you're obeying God. God's word will come to you. And because God's word will come to you, Jerusalem will come to you. And that is what the Lord does. He's preparing. He's preparing. Even though the world is so dark and dangerous, even the intercession, we, you know, we prayed for the kind of things that is going on, whether in this country or around the world. It's still a dark and a dangerous place. It's still a broken and a bleeding world, a world that is longing for hope and healing. And what is God's answer? God's answer for this broken and bleeding world is you. It is you, my dear friend. It is you, my graduate. You are the answer. That's why the Lord is preparing you. The Lord is training you. Do not give up. Do not get discouraged. Do not wonder what is happening. Lord, why, why is this? Just keep going. Just keep going. One of the analogies I often give is about the treadmill, like right? seminary studies like the treadmill, right? <laughs> you get in and endlessly you keep going and going and going, and uh, it gets so bored, right? You want to read a book. You want to see a television. But, you know, endlessly it goes on. 
But the worst part of treadmill is what? You get down in the same place where you got in, right? <laughs> you feel nothing is moving, Lord, and I was an evangelist and I'm here. I say, Lord, why am I here for six years? But even as you keep running, what happens? Unseen to human eyes, what happens? The fats are being burned, right? Calories are being burned. Your sinews are being strengthened. Muscles are being formed. And the best part I like, I love about treadmill is, you know, when you get down after walking or running, what is it? And you begin to walk, you could see, you know, as if somebody is, you know, pushing you, right? You know, you're like walking on air. You know, I think good seminary training will do that. Never give up. God is shaping you, even in secret, for the divine purpose he has ahead for you. Let me go to the second uh, uh, stanza. But even as you obey, what happens? You say, Elijah, no, he man, but just like us, a faithful prayer, meaning somebody who is full of faith, and he shuts heaven to bless, right? Because prayer invites king's wrath, but God guards his servant from the wicked schemes of the garden serpent, right? When you stand up for God, there are going to be the Ahabs and Jezebels are going to be against you. But remember, God guards his servant. God guards his servant. Never be afraid of the Ahabs and Jezebel. I, write my, I wrote my PhD thesis on persecution in India. And the biggest challenge was, should I go back to my own place having written on the, a PhD, I mean a thesis on this? There are a lot of well-meaning good friends said, please do not go, Prabhu. I remember I returned from, you know, visiting a spot, hot spot in my place, and I came back, and one of my professors, uh, Dr. Eunice Irwin, she said, looked at me pointedly, and she said, Prabhu, do you want to have a long life or a short life? The kind of the work that I was involved in, do you want to have a long life or a short life? I said, I do not know, ma'am, but I know one thing, I want to have a fruitful life. The Ahabs and Jezebels are out there, but precisely into that context the Lord is sending you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The third stanza goes like this. Uh, I like this stanza. Ravens, the foul fowl, swiggy, meat and bread. You may wonder what swiggy is in India. Uh, swiggy is equivalent to the DoorDash here, you know, or the Uber Eats. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, you know, you see, amazing how God could make these as, you know, uh, Uber Eats guys, uh, like, okay, sending the ravens here, uh, swiggy, meat and bread. God cares. No matter utter scarce and dread. Careth dries, but widow's oil overflows. Obey God's vision, provision follows. Too often in Christian ministry, particularly in leadership, we have put the horse, the cart in front of the horse. Often say, Lord, if you give the provision, I wouldn't obey your vision. It doesn't happen that way. Obey God's vision. Obey God's vision, and provision would follow. Now, when I came into this role for nearly 35 years, more than 30 years, uh, only foreigners were uh, leaders in my seminary. So naturally, when I stepped in, a lot of apprehension, our own people would say, uh, Dr. Prabhu, what do we do? You know, will these people help? You know, that's the kind of the apprehension. And I, I always told them, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who sits on the principal's chair, but what matters is that to, uh, for us to know that God is still seated on the throne. Obey God's vision, provision would follow. 
You don't need to say, somebody says, oh, you do this, I give money. Uh, that's kind of putting it in you know, the, uh, the, the, the cart in front of the horse. But by faith, step out. Whatever God is calling you, particularly graduates, whatever God is calling you, by faith, step out. And you see that God always backs up. And what a beautiful song we sang today. He will never fail. He never fails. He never fails. He never fails. What a beautiful one. Number four, uh, need to move on. And uh, number four, this is Mount Carmel, right? Single soldier on Mount Carmel never frets. Battles battalion, battalion of Baal's prophet. One man, one woman with God is no minority when God's glory is sole priority. How often you see, go back and read 2 Timothy and how many times Paul says, such and such person deserted me. Everybody in Asia deserted me. But right towards the end, you know, in chapter 4 he said, but the Lord stood beside me. And he had delivered me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And number five, with faith, hope will bloom, but fear spreads gloom. Under the broom tree, Praise for his own doom. Yeah. Thank God for the unanswered prayer. Horeb's whisper renews the giant slayer. What a beautiful God. God of new beginnings and fresh possibilities. Even a man like Elijah can have his own depression, can have his own failure. But recently I was telling my students, the only failure in a failure is the failure to learn from that failure. We all would go through that, ups and downs. And yet we have a God of new beginnings and fresh possibilities. He brings him to Mount Horeb and he renews the man of God. The last stanza, before I conclude, the last one. This is dear grad, but you can also put dear friend. Crests and troughs fill our story till chariot of fire flies us to glory. Go, hiding lamp in darkness is treason. Preach God's word blossoms in every season. We started with darkness, right? Darkness visible. And I ended up with the same darkness. And hiding the light in darkness is treason. I want to close with the true story that comes from the pages of history. The rise of Christianity, a sociologist uh, take on the spread of Christianity, Rodney Stark's book, some of you would have read it, and uh, the title goes like, The Rise of Christianity, How an Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement uh, Became the Dominant Religious Force in the West. I think uh, <laughs> quite a long title. Uh, but, you know, he gives, he gives several, several themes how the Christianity grew purely from a sociological perspective. But one of the themes, interestingly, as we are coming out of post-pandemic world, one of the themes was epidemics. He gives a whole chapter on the epidemics. Two major epidemics swept through the early century, one in 165 CE and the other in 251 CE, and they, uh, they swept almost one-third of the Roman population. And Rodney Stark says it was in the midst of that epidemics how the Christian community in the darkness and in the danger of that epidemics, how the Christian community lived and served that made an indelible mark in the minds and hearts of the Roman Empire. He gives several things, but two things stand out. He said two things that the Christians did well. One was that they were able to articulate a worldview of hope, a hope not only for the, this world, but for the world to come. Infusion of hope. That's your calling. 
in a dark and a dangerous world to articulate hope that we do not have hopeless end, but we have endless hope in Jesus Christ. And the second thing they did well was incarnation of love. When everybody was fleeing, running away because of fear of the epidemic, Christians sacrificed themselves and they went and served the poor and the needy. He says that the famous classical physician by name Galen, he said, even Galen fled, but not the Galileans. You know, Christians were derisively called as Galileans by them. Even Galen fled, but not the Galileans. But it was that incarnation of love that impacted the people. Infusion of hope, incarnation of love. That's your calling, and that's my calling in this dark and the dangerous, in this bleeding and the broken world. And that is what God is calling you and me today, my dear brothers, particularly the graduates. Go, hiding lamp in darkness is treason. Preach God's word blossoms in every season. Shall we close our eyes and pray? Gracious Father, humans look at our outward appearance. You are a God who looks deep into our heart. And I pray, Lord, for every heart today that I come here, Father, seeking you, are struggling, are excited about what you're doing in their lives. I pray, Father, that your spirit would empower them, even as you are sending them out today, and particularly the graduates who are sending out into the world, the worlds of Ahab and Jezebel, but into that world to bring an infusion of hope and an incarnation of love to impact the world for the glory of God and for the extension of your kingdom. We ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.